Welcome to a live in kick in the 90s football podcast and yes it's this week in the 90s. Uh, on today's show more fizzy cup action for Villa and Borough. We look at Ian Rush. We haven't talked about him much on here but he breaks a record. One that Gareth Bale actually broke last week and we also talk fish with Eric Cantona. You'll, you'll know what I mean. We'll also have about a little bit of a chat on England-Holland, England-Italy seeing as those games have been happening but in the 90s of course all that and loads more to come, plus pear cider, top of the pops, you know, the usual lot, here on This Week in the 90s. This is Gary Stevens, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s. Of course, joining me, uh, we are a day late, we, we fully uh, acknowledge that, uh, mainly because my two comrades were boozing all weekend and last night. Um, I was working, but these two were boozing, and let me firstly, uh, someone who's got a slight hangover, I hear, um, he was out last night, um, but he's still, he'll be on top four for us, because he always is. He's your social media mogul for The Voice, uh, he's Borough fan, which we'll be talking today, of course. Joe Young, how you feeling, mate? How's the head? I'm alright, I'm good, plenty of water. Plenty of crisps, plenty of ice lollies. It's uh, the way forward, I think. I think you can always you can always denote the severity of a hangover based on how many bags of crisps and how many ice lollies you have. Ice lollies? That's a, mm. I don't know, I've never had that. What, what kind of like proper old school ice lollies? Just plain? Yeah, old school's are fabs. Fabs. Oh, brilliant. They're the one with the hundreds and thousands on it, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah that's them. They've just celebrated their 50th birthday. Really? Wow, yeah. didn't realise they were that long. Oh. Well, it's, it sounds very 60s, doesn't it? Fab. Yeah, it does, I suppose, yeah. I once mm. spent a whole holiday with my wife, can't remember where we were, Italy or Spain, trying to find a Solerio, because all she wanted was a Solerio. <laughs> and now every time I see them, I'm like, I curse that day because my feet ached. But she got it in the end. She always gets what she wants. Rightfully so, as well. Um, our other guest, who was boozing all weekend, I saw it on Facebook, so he had a good time. Uh, he is a journalist for many plethora of outlets, including The Sportsman. Uh, Matthew Christ, where were you? What were you up to the weekend having a good time? Well, before I go into that, can I just clarify? It's called they're called lolly ice here in Liverpool. Oh, so, uh, never heard of that. Not, they're not ice lollies, so oh, just what, in case what, anyone's listening. What are listening. they up north, Joe? Ice lollies. Oh, okay. Uh, some, okay, so that's a middle of the country thing. All right then. Well, I think it's a scales thing, to be I honest. Think, a scales oh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Lolly ice. Well, lolly ice. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody knew what I meant when I said an ice lolly. And, wow. Uh, so I, had, I had to learn. Well, I've learned I do, I do like what things are called in other parts of the country. I used to, when I was on Sunday brunch, I used to just post up a picture of a bread bun every now and again and just say, what's this called? And the country would just go wild fighting yeah. with themselves. It's a cob. It's a bun. It's a roll. It's roll, a bap. It's, yeah. it's, it's, oh, it's a bam. It's a bam. It's a bam. Yeah, all that business. Yeah. People would absolutely lose it. It would go on for days and days and days. If I see anybody else doing that on social media, you stole it off me. <laughs> Away from bread-related topics, Matthew, how are you doing? How is, as I said, you were, you've been, you were out. Where were you out of the weekend? What were you up to? Oh, I was out in town on Friday. Well, anyone that's been out in this town knows it doesn't really matter what day it is. It's always Party crazy. Yeah. Sundays are probably busier than a Friday or a Saturday put together. Um, so by the time I got to Sunday, I was in a bit of a state. But I actually found um, an outdoor sort of I don't know what you call it, a fake, but it had a beer tent there, which was selling, of all things, pear cider. Pear cider, oh, of course. Yeah, seven, 7% perry. And I tell you what, any, anyone that says you can cure a hangover by having a bag of crisps and a lot of water, 
and a lolly ice. And a lolly ice. I would say to them, they obviously haven't got much of a hangover because if you felt like I did yesterday, it wouldn't have mattered how many how many bags of crisps or lolly ices you had. You'd have been you'd have been doomed. Maybe I'm just a better drinker than you, Matthew. Oh, there's no, a challenge. I think it's <laughs> there's a challenge. I think it's the fact that you pay about eight quid for a pint down there means that you don't really drink as much as you do with one pound sixty. Well, when we do the alive and kicking night out. That we'll all see what happens. I think uh, you know. I don't fancy my chances. I firmly admit I'm quite a, a, a slow, bad drinker. So, but you two can fire it out. I'll let you. I'll let that happen. Uh, while you two were boozing, I've been working and been on a speed awareness call. So my my couple of days have been far less fun. Um, my own fault. I know it's my own doing. Yes, but um, yeah, not fun for anyone who's been on one of them. So let's talk '90s football and placate all of that, and hopefully uh, get over your your hangovers as well. Um, so. I mean, it's quite apt we've got you two on anyway, because the two finals we're going to uh, quickly touch on on our first subject uh, have your both your teams in them. Not very well remembered for both of your teams, obviously, um, but let's start. Um, we're going back to 1994, 27th of March 1994, this week in the 90s. Uh, we talked about Villa on last week's show beating Leeds 3-0 in that Coca-Cola final. It was their second of the decade, and it's one I think we've talked about on here before, but we'll touch on it again because it happened this week. Uh, Aston Villa 3, Manchester United 1. Um, did we have, have we spoken about this, Matthew, this game between us? Oh, I can't remember if that was on that show or not. Uh, I don't think... I did this season when we did the when yeah. we did the uh, the re- preview or the review. I think I might have had a Villa fan. I will have to go go back in the archive and listen. But yeah. we'll get Matthew, I mean we'll get Matthew's view on this anyway. Um, other than the amazingly brilliantly lovely kit that Man United were wearing in that game, what are your memories of of this one? Because it wasn't a day. It was kind of Ron Atkinson's revenge slightly, wasn't it, from the the season before? Well, yeah, but he got revenge against United a couple of times in the League Cup. He did me in the, in the nineties. His Sheffield Wednesday team beat course, yeah. United uh, in ninety one, and then he did it again. It's always interesting when we when we look back at this era how decent Villa were, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, a bit of you know in the years since they had a real topsy turvy period, but they were always really consistent, weren't they? Some really good good players, and this proves it again. Um, yeah, I remember going into this final. United won for a treble, weren't they? They were the first a domestic time, yeah, yeah. Tre- domestic treble, um, not not the treble as we call it. But um, don't people yeah, in Liverpool call that the proper treble? No, no, they call that. Uh, I call it the Mickey Mouse treble. <laughs> but they they class the uh, UEFA Cup, League Cup, FA Cup, Egg Cup, whatever else they won that season. They class that as a treble. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny that because they didn't say that in 1977 when they were going for the real treble. But United stopped them. By beating them in the FA Cup final, but anyway, keep it nineties. Yeah, I don't remember um, the seventies one. Yeah, I can't go that far back. Go no, on. Well, I don't, but it's just a well-known year. Um, yeah, so United were going for a treble, um, the league, the FA Cup, and they were pretty much running away with the league this spring or top of the league anyway. Uh, going for the FA Cup and in the final of this League Cup, but this was the first sort of signs of a bit of a wobble. Um, Decent Villa team. One thing I do really remember about this, I don't know if you do, is remember Andre Kinchelski got sent off for United. For the handball, yeah. And he handballed on the line, and he didn't... That was the old Wembley where the tunnel was down behind the goal. And he stood behind the goal and watched the penalty. Do you remember? He didn't, he didn't go straight off the pitch. No, I don't remember that. There was... Um, I remember the camera panning, cat panning behind the goal. He was stood on the sort of... Where the photographers used to be at the old Wembley. Just stood hands on the hips waiting to see whether... Uh, with a, it was Les Seeley then, wasn't it? Because Schmeichel was, yeah, the late was sent Seeley, off, yeah. so um, Seeley yeah. was in goal, and uh, so he was waiting to see what would happen. I don't know what would have happened if Seeley had saved it. I don't know if he'd try to run back on, but um, 
no, he, that was one of those sort of iconic moments at the time. But um, no, I think it was a well-deserved, well-deserved win for Villa. They were, they were a pretty good. Have you team. gone back and watched that penalty incident, by the way? I watched it yeah today. Yeah, <laughs> because did you watch the version with the Kevin Keegan and yes. <laughs> Ryan Moore commentary? Yeah. And they're both on it, and they're both going. Well, he doesn't need to be sent off for this. That should just be a yellow card. Well, it was. Never, it wasn't an automatic. Line. It wasn't an automatic red card for years, was it? Um, I think it's happened just quite, in. Yeah. Well, it might have just come in then, but I mean, historically, it was never. A, it happened in a few. I think it happened in a Liverpool West Ham League Cup final in eighty or eighty one, something like that. I remember someone tipping the ball over onto the bar. I think he just got a yellow card and a penalty. It was almost seen as a penalty was the. The sort of ultimate sacrifice, really. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what maybe they were rattling on about. Keegan maybe that's especially was offended. Maybe that's why Kincelskis took so long to go off and stood behind the goal because he thought somebody might say, "Actually, no, you can come back on." But <laughs> uh, but it seems strange now, doesn't it? Because I mean, you just think as soon as you do that, now, red, you're, yeah. you're, you're you off. Think of the uh, the Luis Suarez one at the 2010 World Cup, wasn't that the famous one where he well, took a well the stick he got for that? Yeah, he, people people were calling for him to be shot and all kinds. I mean, he got his, he took his punishment and that was that. But people were still moaning about it for ages afterwards, weren't they? But yeah, you kind of know what the punishment is. So if you're prepared to take the risk, and in his case, it worked, didn't it? So he's no stranger to to people not wanting to to, to do the nice things to him, though, is he? Let's be honest, uh, Luis Suarez, um, Joe. Um, you know, we mentioned this Villa team. I think Matthew's right. I mean, looking through it again, this was a really strong Villa team. Um, the late Dalian Atkinson um, scored, opening the scoring in this one before Dean Saunders got got two goals. Um, but they they didn't really ever, other than that first Premier League season, it never really worked for them in the league. But they're more of a cup team, weren't they? That was the words I was just going to say. Is cup side, you know, and especially with the two league cup successes that they had in this but you know it's a strong team all around that team with mm. you know you said Atkinson Saunders and Matt well, which is in goal I think they've come runners up the season before yeah. haven't they so, mm-hmm. you know, and really nearly could have won the league you know it was going it was to and fro right up until the, the last month of the season wasn't it so they must have been a, a pretty good team they were a pretty good team. They were, yeah. Mm. One name that's that I mean I always like to look at the lineups on here Graham Fenton started that game which is not somebody I didn't wouldn't have imagined being in and around the first team at that point because he's obviously people remember him at Blackburn and being part it's of the that. goal that he scored against Newcastle, yeah, wasn't exactly. it? That he's always remembered for, yeah, because he because he's a Jody himself and he scored the goal against Newcastle that he kind of thought was going to be the one that stopped them winning the league. Mm, yeah, but he yeah he started just behind the uh, you know number ten actually you don't really see those in in the nineties a proper number ten just behind Dean Saunders I really used to rate Dean Saunders I saw a goal from him the other day that I completely forgot about I think it was against Wimbledon he kind of a, a chip um, from the side of that he scored a great one against QPR as well we were in the uh, the all black kit at the start of the season but yeah I think Dean Saunders was somebody I always rated um, I mean again I thought it was a good game what did you think of the game Joe you said you watched the highlights so I thought it was actually quite a decent game as well. Yeah, it was good fun, and and again, you know, just everything backing up that you say. It, it might be good fun for you. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah. Sorry, I do apologize. Well, <laughs> hold on, mate. We can talk about a game that isn't good fun for me in a minute. Yeah, we'll oh, get good. To that. Yeah, all right, yeah. But like, from a neutral point of view, thank you, Matthew. Uh, I think it was quite a good, a, a fun game to watch, and and you know, Villa were full of stars. United, you know, obviously went into it as heavy favourites, but I didn't. I, completely forgotten the game being like that that Villa had looked so good you know there's another bit of great Keegan commentary where he says oh Villa's starting to come into it now and then like that's just when they score he's a terrible commentator yeah, Keegan and we all know we all know my feelings on Kevin Keegan he'd be my first into my football room 101 of the 1990s you know it's Kevin well, there, Keegan there, there's a there, show to come. 
There's a show yeah. idea. I think Matthew's have mentioned that before. Who, who, who came up with that idea? Oh, yeah. yeah I, I credited <laughs> you straight away. Don't worry. Yeah, okay. um, yeah I, the only thing I was going to say about this game, and I, I didn't realise until I was looking into it, Villa beat Birmingham in the uh, early rounds of this uh, cup run, which is a game you didn't really see in the 90s because they were separated um, by divisions for, pr- I think, pretty much the whole decade. Um, and they beat Tranmere and in the semis. Tranmere in, yeah. Tranmere in the semis. Yeah, when Tranmere were, they were always kind of battling for promotion with us in the 1990s. They were always sort of there or thereabouts. At John the Aldridge of, is Tranmere at the time, one. yeah. Yes, yeah. So yeah, so that's yeah, so that's the league cup and a little quirk as well. Andre Kincelskis, who also we mentioned, got sent off in that game. It's actually as also this week when he first joined Manchester United in 1991, uh, joining from Shakhtar Donetsk for 650,000. Obviously, went on to play for Everton and Rangers as well. Um, switching tack then to four years later, uh, another Coca-Cola Cup final, the Fizz. Um, 29th of March 1998 and yeah now it's turned for our other regular to get a bit sombre about it I mean we I, th- I thought we'd talked about this I don't know if we talked in great detail actually Jugs. we talked about the 97 season a lot on here the Giannino mm. Chesterfield blah 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 um, this game probably not so much this is um, all, as we mentioned last week Paul Gascoigne's return as well this is what's kind of built around um, you were a championship tight side what do you remember about that cut run getting into the final and, and then ultimately not Really having enough to be a, a quite a strong Chelsea team. Yeah, I think I think I remember us getting tipped to to do business. This is the season that Merson had come down from Arsenal um, at the height of all his uh, at the height of all his problems, you know, his issues, and he'd sort of been flung Borough as a as a lifeline really, and he absolutely revitalised his crew. He got back in the England side when he was playing in what was then Division One, now the Championship for Borough. Um, he 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 absolutely single-handedly got us up that year. So that's what I remember about that whole year. I think was it Liverpool in the semis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Marco Branca. So we'd signed Marco Branca from Inter and I think he scored with his first touch. So, you know, instant Borough hero. Uh, and Merson got a penalty, I think. I'm doing this off the top of my head because Ash just threw this at me. As we yeah, I got, the, I got the wrong year. That's my fault. I'll, I'll take, I'll take full, full um, blame for that. But we were. I think after the disappointments of the of the year before, you know, it was it was kind of quite nice to get to Wembley really quickly. But I mean, just like you said, Chelsea were just too big, too strong for us that day. And and Gascoigne making his debut probably didn't particularly help. Really, I think I think it might have shook things up a little bit in you know the fact that he was the fact that Hignett, who'd done so much to get us to that final. Um, had had suddenly lost his place to Gascoigne and it was just all a bit you know and it wasn't long after and we got promoted that year but then it wasn't long after that that uh, that uh, Merson left to go to Villa um, so you know it sort of I think it sort of unsettled things at the time but it was a good game to go to and it, it wasn't one that has heartbroken me like other cup finals, especially the one the year before against mm. Chelsea. I think obviously going into this one as underdogs, it's it's always a different mentality, isn't it? I suppose Chelsea were you know becoming the Chelsea as we've talked about before. They were transitioning. If you look at their team, it's very much a mix of the sort of old sort of youngsters that came through, but also the new foreign influx. You've got Eddie Newton, Frank Sinclair, who scored in this game. Then mm. against the likes of Zola and Di Matteo and uh, Petrescu and Labuff, so it was up against a, a very strong uh, a Chelsea team there. I mean, again, I'm looking at the lineup from Borough. How did you swing Marco Branca? That was one that escaped me. That he went to you while you were in the Championship. How did that happen? Uh, I'm guessing it's the uh, Brian Robson, Brian Robson uh, factor. factor again. Yeah. But we're going for a million quid. Right? One thing that Brian Robson was 
always really good at, and he did it a few times, was buying players right at the end of the season, whether to get us up or to help us out. And he did it a few times. He did it with uh, Uwe Fuchs uh, and Jan Fjortov. He did it with um, he did it with Marco Branca that year. He did it with, I mean, it, it didn't keep us up, but he bought Schwartz and Fester quite late in the day. And yeah, Fester, I think we were looking pretty strong to go up. I think it was us and Forest. I think Forest went up as champions, and we went up second. So it was looking like it was going to happen. And I thought he was a wonderful player. We were sort of rich in strikers at that point, but uh, he ended up having a big falling out with the club as well and suing them and winning, be, uh, rightfully so, I think, for breach of contract. So it didn't end particularly well. I think he got injured as soon as we got in the Premier League as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was still a sort of swaggery um, kind of borough side. And, we, you know, the, the, that that year, is that promotion year, it was a really, really happy one in the cup run helped, you know, whereas in the season before the two cup runs had no doubt hindered us. Um, but that cup run was really fun and enjoyable. But no complaints either, you know, like we we complain about the other ones, but I don't think that anybody can really complain about the result of that one. I don't mm. remember mourning about it. <laughs> oh well. Uh, Matthew, I won't throw this to you because as I said I threw this on late on, so we'll move on um from the, the Coca Cola Cup finals and talk to you uh, about this certain quote. Now for anyone who lived through the 90s as a fan of 90s football which I obviously think you are because you're listening to this podcast these few words well, you'll know them you should know them verbatim really when seagulls follow the trailer it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea 31st of March 1995 Matthew Eric Cantona what the hell happened there well it's worth putting this into some kind of context because this is obviously <laughs> a good few weeks after the yeah. incident at Soho's Park I didn't um, realise how late this conference was until I was doing research on it. That obviously this came after the Kung Fu kick, but to do it so the end of March when the well, it's because it's because he obviously ran into went into the crowd at Sellers Park in what was it January January yeah. mm. it was the fifteenth or twenty fifth. Uh, kick Matthew Simmons uh, was arrested. I think so was Simmons. They both got the book thrown at them. And Cantona was actually sentenced to two. Was it two weeks in jail or two months in jail? I think he was sentenced to a jail term anyway. Yeah, it was, yeah, um, and then and there was a huge uproar and he actually appealed the sentence, which I think everyone knew was the the judge making a bit of an example of him. I think. I mean maybe it was maybe it was fair, but uh, I don't think anyone expected him to go to court and or go to prison. Uh, so he appealed he appealed that uh verdict for that, that sentence and was successful, got it overturned and, and instead got 120 hours community service. And this was the press conference that was sort of hastily arranged in a Croydon hotel, I think yeah. it was in Croydon, <laughs> yeah, it was Croydon, Croydon, Count, hotel, uh, magistrates, yeah. Croydon Magistrates Court. And um, it's interesting because apparently they really didn't know what to expect. Uh, the, it was overturned, he got 120 hours, so I think they were quite pleased, the club were quite pleased. And Cantona and Morris Watkins, the Secretary of United at the time, or the chair, one of the the, the big wigs at the time, were sat in this uh, sort of side room before going out to to talk to the press. For, I mean, now you get the feeling now that they would have had some kind of shiny. It would have all been written out, and it would have been it, whatever the verdict. They would have had something uh, set up for him to say. And apparently, they both sat there, and Morris Watkins said to Cantona, "Have you got anything prepared that you want to say?" And he said, "No." And they both sort of said, "Well." Well, what are we going to do? And according to uh, the reports, Cantona said, "What is the name of the uh, boat that go out into the sea and and catch fish?" And Morris Watkins said, "Ah, oh, it's a trawler." And he said, 
what is the name of what are the names of the birds that fly over there? and he saw their seagulls and Cantona just nodded and sort of grinned and then they went out to face the uh, assembled throng of of pressmen and uh, Cantona just reeled off this uh, quite bizarre speech so it, it, it wasn't as off the cuff as people think but it was uh, it just I think they just came up with something um, basically because they had nothing else to say and Cantona obviously a few years later I think he admitted that he, he just seized his moment to basically because he was taking the mick really wasn't it? if you look at him he, he, he's trying not to laugh yeah he takes a, a sip of water face, halfway, isn't he? Yeah. yeah he takes a sip of water to almost stop himself laughing and then when he when he delivers that killer line you can see he's, he's absolutely loving it so and i remember the fallout at the time you probably remember everyone was reading everything into mm. it and thinking oh what's he mean and all this and i was thinking at the time everyone just thought he's he's, he's just having a laugh at your expense really he's just sort of being controversial to be to be controversial which is exactly what he did and uh, but, i mean to excuse the pun there was something of the cod philosopher wasn't there about Cantona a lot of the time <laughs> and whether that was kind of him being mystical just for his own mystical purposes or whether he actually believed anything of what he particularly said a lot of the time you know i did like later on that he said his greatest achievement in english football was booting the palace fan yeah, and he said, his biggest, he said his biggest regret was not hitting him hard enough, wasn't it? He, he said uh, said that to uh, United. We stand a few years, a few years after that. But I mean, it does make sense. I can see what he uh, he does. If he did come up with it off the top of his head, it's a, quite a decent piece of uh, of poetry, isn't it? Because I was at that game that night, and, and obviously remember the fallout of everything. And it was rightly so, I suppose. It was pretty spectacular. But I mean, everyone was. Clamouring for his blood, weren't they? They absolutely wanted him absolutely you know, torn limb from limb, really. So I think he was—it was just his final sort of reaction to the, the, the three or four months. Well, what was it? A couple of months since since the incident, he just—it was sort of almost a weight off his off his shoulders, I suppose. But uh, a great piece of ad lib, really, if that's what it was. The fact that we're still talking about it now, you know, yeah, again. The footage 20, is great. I encourage 20. people to, to watch the press conference. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'll put it I on think Twitter. If you, if you see it um, the way he says it, I think you get it much more than when it's written yeah. down. When it's written down, you read it and think, what a pompous soul, so-and-so. But when he when you see him deliver it, I think you know these. Yeah, there's definitely a tongue firmly planted in his cheek there and a, and a wry smile. And uh, So I think he would say, you know, don't take it too seriously. I think he actually did say that to, you know, a few years afterwards. Somebody said to him, what were you thinking of? And he just said, I saw the moment to to be a star or something and, and I just went for it. So, and, it and it worked. Mm. Joe, do you, does it just epitomise what we've said on here before about the maverick footballer? You wouldn't imagine sort of Paul Pogba coming out and, and doing something. He, he owned that room and also delivered something that, as Matthew said, we're still talking about sort of 20, you know, 20 years later. We miss, Did we miss those kind of characters? We don't. We, we. It's like you just said there. Everything is just so sanitised now that you wouldn't be allowed to go out because your legions of sort of in in-house PR and in-house press people just wouldn't allow it to happen. And you're right. There would be some sort of Mr. Canton. I'm very sorry for the and He's wasted the judge's time and blah 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 blah. You know, it would just be very anodyne because you know we live in such a binary world now that everything is instantly black or white, right or wrong. Um, you say that though. I suppose the nearest you get now is a tweet, isn't it? You do get. You tend to get these controversial yeah. tweets, which I don't like to compare it. But I suppose that would be the the nearest comparison now. Is somebody you could see Pogba tweeting something slightly 
slightly similar, but I don't think it would be, and it wouldn't have that air of drama. And like we said, it would not happen there and then in front of a live television or all the, the press men. It just wouldn't. He wouldn't. He probably wouldn't say anything. Now it just it'd just be a pre-prepared statement. That's what was so so funny, so incredible about it, isn't it? So um, yeah, the only thing I can see someone like Pogba doing is some kind of cryptic tweet but even then he probably wouldn't if it was something as serious as this because i mean joke about it but he was sentenced to jail and he yeah. just got off so it was quite, it was a reasonably serious matter mm. it's the arrogance that i you know you can watch now in with your eyes and just it just oozes out of him it's just the aura he has around him i just well, that that was something i noticed when we were talking last week about the moncur stamp when mm. he stamps on moncur and he just stands there almost looking bemused of uh, uh, in the same way that he did that night at, at Sellers Park when he got sent off, was at blatantly lashing out at uh, Short Richard Shaw. Do you remember when he got sent off? Yeah. He just stood there with yeah. his hands on his hips, looking round as if to say, "Well, you're not, you're not really going to send me off." Are you? And, and he did the same at Swindon as well. And it was that was just him. Although he was a joy. I mean, I was going to games home and away pretty much all those that season and the, the seasons he was there. And it was just, it was just pure gold to watch. A player like that on the pitch and again probably one that you wouldn't get now he just wouldn't be allowed the the freedom to do that but he just it was a real case of them and us when you're watching were you there at Sunderland that day Matthew the Sunderland goal against uh, no not the the chip no I was I was at Sheffield United when he did one similar he said he did a very similar goal in a a, a cup tie at Sheffield United but um, no that was one I wasn't at unfortunately but I tended to be at most of the games where he Cause some kind of controversy. The Swindon game, the Arsenal game, the Palace game, the whichever, whichever. Take your pick. But uh, no, that one wasn't one. But uh, I mean, I don't know how you'd feel as a Sunderland player or fan seeing that sort of reaction. But I mean, he tended to do it. I don't know whether he did. I he tended to get a lot of stick. But I wonder what the fans now whether they would, but they'd look back and say, "Oh, he really hated him." I don't know. Was he, do you think he was one of those players that? opposition fans actually quite liked I mean well I'll ask you I mean, did you... I, I always remembered liking him yeah I mean I didn't yeah. like Man United at the time because it was the in thing to do and I was you know I was at school with a lot of Man United glory hunting fans that you know in South East London so I didn't like them as a club but I don't I didn't really have a particular sort of hate I didn't hate him and I didn't hate Lee Sharp I don't know what Lee Sharp did to, to gain my to my like to him but yeah I, I, I think you I think Kant and I you appreciate more with time as well because you look back and appreciate what he did for for not just the Premier League but for for Man United as well. It was I think you can, in hindsight you, you appreciate him even more and watching even things like this, the, the press conference and like you said the, the, his mannerisms after the Swindon tackle and and that goal that Joel's mentioned as well. I mean I was watching um, looking for Eric funny enough the other day because I come across it when I was sorting out my DVDs because I'm in the process of moving and I hadn't seen that film probably since the cinema even though I'd bought it on DVD it just sat on my shelf. And he's brilliant in that, and he talks about that pass as well to Dennis Irwin, and it's just you know little things like that. He's he was very much an enigma, and I think I appreciate him more now than I did. I think. Well, yeah, I and I think I agree. I speak to um, lads here in Liverpool that probably you know in their sort of mid twenties that tend to not remember him or probably wouldn't remember him, but they'd still say, "Oh yeah, he's you know he's an icon." And I say even even opposition fans probably. Uh, it was one of those where you think, oh, I wish he was, wish he was playing for us, you know. And, and to be honest, a lot of the Liverpool fans I speak to don't actually. He he, he won a lot of Liverpool fans over because he was. Do you remember uh, the Hillsborough Justice tour went down to Leon, I think it was a few years ago, and Cantona got up on stage and sung a song with um, 
Mick Jones and a few of the guys in that. So, you know, he, because he's that kind of character, I think he saw, he's, you know, he sees injustices and he, and he wants to act on it. And that's probably what he felt he did at Sellers Park. And I think he, he, he's that sort of punk maverick guy, isn't he? And, and it, he wasn't really acting on behalf of a football club. He was acting on, he, he sort of did, did things for himself, really, without being selfish. And mm. um, I, I think I think that's what fans can relate to. I don't think I don't think they thought of him as a sort of Manchester United representative, so to speak. Maybe like they would have done with someone like Paul Ince or Peter Schmeichel. I think Cantona sort of was almost just beyond the beyond the club, really. If that makes any sense. Oh, I must say at this point, I didn't like him in the ninety seventh minute at Loftus Road in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, one of his con- four consecutive goals in those four consecutive. Last minute. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I have to put that out there as a QPR fan. That's that contributed to us going down that season. But anyway, um, moving from Cantona, kind of complete opposite kind of an enigma and figure of uh, the kind of 90s and more the 80s actually. And it's somebody we haven't really talked about in here. And I just thought we'd have a quick sort of chat about um, Ian Rush because in my head I always think of him as more achieved more was more of an icon in the 80s for Liverpool but he did he was still playing to well into the 90s both for Liverpool and then on to Leeds and Newcastle um, and this week on the uh, 31st of March 1993 he became Wales's record goal scorer with his 24th goal um, for his country against Belgium he'd go on to score 28 which of course Gareth Bale actually finally broke that record only last week um, when Wales beat China but I just wanted to get your guys opinion on Ian Rush I mean he's one of the great goal scorers um, of that generation, but is for me is there? It's like two sides. There's the Ian Rush of the eighties and kind of going slightly to nineties where he was a goal machine, and then maybe not quite as the hit the heights as he did. Um, Joel, coming to you first, your kind of memories of Ian Rush and, and what do you think of him? It's just like you said, you know, um, very much thought of as as an eighties player, and we've talked about that famous shoot cover loads of times, and obviously. He famously went to Juventus and described it mm-hmm. as being like a foreign country, which is the well, well, he didn't. That was Kenny Dalglish oh, made, made that up. No, no, it's a joke. It was a Kenny Dalglish should have said, "Oh yeah, I spoke to him and he uh, he said to me it's like a foreign country," as Dalglish does in his kind of dry mm. demeanour, and it was picked up on and it, it people it, people ran with it. But no, it was a it was a hoax. So I feel like I feel like I've just had the red buzzing on. Um, QI. Yeah, I didn't yeah. <laughs> All these years, I thought that was different. No. Yeah. Um, but I always remember, you know, when Fowler came into that side, and I yeah. always even then remember thinking that Rush was probably managed as as well as he was going to be managed. You know, he, he definitely became almost like a super sub, really, where, you know, he would be coming on, you know, if they needed somebody, if they needed a goal, if they needed something. And then you forget that he went to Leeds as well. Yeah, and I, I remember him at Newcastle. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten about him going to Leeds United. Um, but yeah, just still an important goal getting. More a squad member than the focal point of the team that he had been, you know, when he was with Dalglish and everything. But um, yeah, just still a really important player. And, and the fact that he was still, I think he was 36 or 37 when he went to Newcastle United. It's uh, still just a really important. Did, did he play in the Barcelona game for Newcastle? I'm pulling this out on the top of my head. So, um, oh, yeah, I, without looking, I couldn't say he, he would have been in that squad. Or whether he played, mm. I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't. But yeah, with all possibility, he could have done. Yeah, and just um, yes, yeah, I think he went there under Dalglish. Yeah, Dalglish. Yeah, was in, yeah. Um, 
so yeah, just um, a very important player. More and like we said, you know, more from the eighties perhaps, but that doesn't write him off as an important player in the nineties and still sort of one of the greats when the Premier League kicked off, definitely. Well he scored in the ninety two FA Cup final, so there were still some highlights going into the 90s and especially in those early periods where Liverpool won the league as well in 90. I mean, Matthew, you're somebody who lives in that part of the world now. Is where What do you, I mean, your memories of somebody who, you know, you were the up against him being a Man United fan, but what do you, and you're around there, what do people think of Ian Rush still? Oh, he's, well, he's, from the Liverpool point of view, he's an absolute club legend. Um, very much, from my point of view, very much a two 80s and 90s, two different eras. Yeah. Uh, I suppose a lot, of it, a lot of it had to do with the club he was playing. I mean, by the time the 90s came around, Liverpool were on the wane, so to speak, weren't they? So uh, I suppose that had something to do with it. He was obviously older, but I mean, in the 80s, he was he was phenomenal as part of that team. And I know he, he, Evertonians I speak to still have nightmares about him because he, he didn't half take his... He seemed to punish Everton at every opportunity, didn't he? I remember him scoring a hat-trick there in the 83, 84, 5, something like that. He scored against them in the cup final of 86 and... 89 as well so he, he funnily enough he saved all his goals for Everton he didn't score against United until 1992 uh, in that famous game when Liverpool beat United and cost cost them the league mm. essentially um, he'd never scored against United in all that time which is because United as, as bad as they were in the 80s they had a pretty good record against Liverpool um, but then when the 90s came around Rush seemed to he, he scored in 92 and then I remember him scoring at Old Trafford and so he sort of Broke that hoodoo in the 90s, but um, from a neutral point of view, I don't think you can doubt his, his scoring record. And, but, and then also he played in a pretty, he played in a Wales team with a lot of good players as well, didn't he? Even though they never really did much in the 90s. It's, um, I was talking about this to a Welsh friend of mine at the weekend, over a pair side. Of course. Um, we, yeah, we were saying how, um, yeah, that 90s, that early sort of mid 90s Wales team had some fantastic players, that, and he was one of them. Him, Rush, the aforementioned um, Dean Saunders, Southall, Mark Hughes, Speed, well, yeah, yeah that front mean, line. The, So it's no surprise that he bagged so many goals for Wales. But maybe a surprise that he didn't score more. But um, I think Wales's uh, Achilles' heel that era was their defence because I don't think it quite lived up to their attacking prowess, did it? I think. Mean, no, but you had Ratcliffe, and I suppose he was a bit. He was early, wasn't he? 80s, but um, yeah, really South goal. Yeah, Eric, well, Young, well, Eric Young's always yeah. one I, I remember with the headband. He was he was the kind of a Welsh store at the time, and then Paul Bowden, of course, who missed that famous Bowden, yeah. penalty. Yeah, but yeah, I, I had to, I, I remember growing up, I was I had this weird small fascination with the Welsh time for a, for a little while, just because they had so many good players that I, I, I couldn't as a youngster couldn't, I was baffled to why they weren't doing better and we're obviously still thinking that now but yeah they never quite lived up to it um, I was just looking at his lead stats he only scored three goals for them in 36 appearances which you think for someone like Ian Rush um, was uh, yeah was a terrible worked out a terrible move for him that did that Leeds one and no wonder Joel you forgot about it but Went on to Newcastle, scored uh, a couple of important goals in the FA Cup. Was one of those three goals for Leeds not against Middlesbrough by any chance? Because you know how we always talk about players that washed up or not didn't do too well, but then they always had a terrific game against Middlesbrough at some point in their career. But be interested to see if one of those goals was against uh, against Borough. I can't give you that answer right now. Uh, well, <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm assuming sure it, well, I'm yeah. Su- I mean, yeah, I'm assuming he didn't because otherwise Joel would have. Yeah, I don't remember it. There'd have been a sigh of, you know disappointment and then a I remember scoring against us at Ayrson Park a game I was at in the late 80s 
where Liverpool yeah, I, came and well beat. Didn't they win 4-0 or 4-1 or 4-0 or something? Something that like that. And, yeah, Steve McMahon a, scored in that game, I think. As well, and, and I just remember Grobola clowning around with the Borough fans in front of the Holgate and because he was just not bothered at all <laughs> during the game by the Borough players. So he thought he'd have a laugh and a carry on with the Borough fans, which makes him a braver man than I ever would have been. Here we go. He scored one against Chelsea and he scored a brace against Leicester. Yeah. He did play for against Middlesbrough though in a nil nil draw in the December yeah, December ninety six. There you go. Yeah, I remember that game. Yeah. yeah sorry, well that was from goalometer.com. First time I've ever used that website, but thank you very much. Um we're going to slightly take a different turn on this week on the 90s now. Um, we've, we've discussed what has happened this week all those years ago and we're going to take a slight little curveball where a couple of friendlies that have happened over the last weekend uh, between England, firstly Holland on Friday night and tonight's game uh, against Italy which ended up in a 1-1 draw with VAR taking centre stage as it will do in this Summer's World Cup. Don't get me started. Um, but I thought we'd have a look back at some of the games that were played between England, Holland and England, Italy in the 90s because there were some big, big games games and memorable games as well um i must first say thank you to corinthian collector on twitter who pointed out that federico Inchesia played for italy tonight of course he's uh, the son of rico Inchesia, who we always say on here we oh? you know that bloke we never, we never <laughs> heard of don't remember him we were we were joking get over it um but he's yeah he's the flagpole the flag yeah he is the, the man we all love here on uh, 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 alive and kicking but let's talk england holland first of all so we won one nil on friday night as in england but there were four games during the 90s all big memorable games um i won't go too deep on all of them i'll uh, just yeah, it was italia 90 where it was the nil nil the two world cup qualifying games in the run-up to usa 94 and of course euro 96 um matthew what one for you, stands out the most. Is it obvious? Question is obviously the uh, the Euro '96 one. What do you remember about that? Well, I remember it because I had money on Shearer to be top scorer in that tournament, and he was about twenty to one or something stupid because he hadn't scored for England for thirteen months of years. Had so, it? Yeah, thirteen yeah. games. So uh, we a few of us lumped on because we thought I think he was about sixteen to one. So we all put a tenner on him, and uh, obviously Shearer. By then, we started to see there was something coming through. But no, that, I think that was what the sort of ultimate. England performance of that era, wasn't it? Anyone at that age remembering that tournament that, you know, it seemed every game was played in sunny weather and it was warm and everyone was in pubs and drinking hooch and all that kind of stuff. So that's probably the most memorable. I do remember the, I remember the Italy 90 pretty well because I think Steve Ball played in that game for England against Holland. Um, he was in the squad whether he... Oh. Yeah, I seem to remember him coming on. Or I, I might be wrong. I think but, he did, um, yeah. Was I remember Gas... Gascoigne doing a great Cruyff turn. Yeah, of the course. Of, yeah. uh, uh, it was always on the start of uh, ITV football. There's a nice Saint bit Cruz, of a rumble between Gazza and Rude Hullet in in that game, in the World Cup game. It's really peculiar. Yeah. I, I just, you know, this, the ref dis- disallowed the England goal and, and Lineker handballed one that, and then knocked it in. Um, so, you know, England were really on top in that game I yeah, thought that was the, yeah. if you remember that tournament England were dreadful in most of that tournament even though everyone seems to think they were brilliant but they, mm. that was the only game they seemed to really do well in apart from the semi-final against Germany they played quite well but they were awful against Ireland they were pretty bad against Egypt but that game they should have it clicked didn't it even though they didn't didn't win it but it was you just started to see a, a bit of bit of potential there didn't you obviously Gascoigne sort of showing what he could do with that bit of skill and I just remember everyone being raving about that performance, even mm. though they, England didn't win. But 
Well, it was still a, it was on a Saturday result. night that I remember. It I was, yeah. One of my yeah. friends, uh, one of my best friends, is uh, she's half Dutch, and she always like gets orange out every time <laughs> Holland are playing, you know, which she hasn't been able to do lately. Bless her. But um, it, yeah, I always remember the sort of that Saturday night game causing sort of riots, and even at fourteen, being sort of half cut and watching this game of football, and England <laughs> really should have won it and this is when everybody you know Holland and, and most teams around Europe we said this before you didn't see them all the time so you didn't have the encyclopedic knowledge that most people do now so Ruth Hullett and Van Basten and people like that were just wonderfully exotic to us I think and, and then to see lads who we saw for the most part clogging in and out in Division 1 at that time um, was it gives you that sort of inflated self-belief I guess mm. I, I had the Italia 90 video which was uh, the, the England's road to glory afterwards which detailed all the tournament Brian Moore beautifully commentating and narrating the whole thing and they go they show that Gascoigne Cruyff turn about 60 different angles even when in 1990 <laughs> there wasn't that many TV cameras on it but that, that always stands yeah, out yeah they me. had a camera shot didn't they just sort of download yeah yeah, behind yeah. the goal where they. I'm trying to remember what happened. He, he turned his man and then did he. He went into the box. Someone else and then he put it in. Yeah, Lineker just missed it. Yeah, I think Lineker, not yeah. quite sort of Gaza in Euro 96 against Germany, missed it. But yeah, he just, stretched and, stretched uh, and just couldn't get it. on the end of it. And it was, yeah. his, it was Lineker's goal, of course, that was uh, disallowed as well because it handballs as it was saved by um, Van Brooklyn. It rebounded back off uh, Lineker's arm and into the net from Paul Parker's cross. Um, but yeah, that was that was probably one of their best performances of the, of the tournament. The two World Cup qualifying games are obviously really famous as well. Um, the first one at Wembley, which ended in a 2-2 draw. Barnes's free kick. Uh, David Platt getting the second after QPR's Les Ferdinand hit the post. Uh, then the Dutch hit back with uh, Dennis Burkamp and a Van Vossen penalty. But it's the one in Rotterdam that everyone remembers. Um, I watched this. I remember I was on a half-term holiday in um, the New Forest. This is October. It absolutely pissed down with rain. We were in this log cabin um, type thing that was kind of shaking from the rain and we were watching this game. So it was a miserable evening all round. Um, everyone I, remember, sh- I assume you got some kind of uh, cheap deal, did you? It was you probably to the Duke Forest in October. It was October, probably yeah, one of those kind of sun holiday type things or other newspapers are obviously available, but one of those cheap half-time... Ho- seasons Ho yeah. seasons holidays or yeah, something exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, the mum and dad wanted to get away for a week just to take us away and not be bored or whatever. But yeah, that game is obviously always remembered for Ronald Koeman when he took down David Platt. Should have been sent off. Then obviously scored the goal and it's um, Brian Moore's, he's going to flick one, he's going to flick one, he's going to flick one. Brad, Rich down, yeah. he's going to flick one. Which is a great commentary. And it was the birth of Do I Not Like That as well, which is Graham Taylor's famous quote on the night of, uh, obviously he didn't like what happened. So that is absolutely one of the most famous games and the end of Graham Taylor's reign but obviously we had a chance to qualify in the San Marino game after that but it was never going to happen so we had, there was a lot I thought there. looking at that England team it looked really unbalanced I think it's midfield I think he got Palmer uh, Carlton Palmer out on the left so you know like a three man midfield but Palmer on the left of it Ince in the middle and then he was playing Merson as a striker which in my head Merson's the number 10 because that's where he played for Borough for that season that we just mentioned but I, I just looked at it and went oh you know like that just seems really really disjointed unbalanced like it, it, I don't know what uh, what else and who else was available to him at the time off the top of my head but I just if you go and look at that starting 11 it's it's not right yeah I'm just looking at it now actually I hadn't looked at it before but yeah it's um Paul Emerson Carlisle Ince which I didn't really know this website's got their mm-hmm. proper full night full names on it um, Paul Charles Merson always makes me laugh as well. Yeah, and she- yeah, I forget Shearer played in that game as well. But yeah, it does seem quite unbalanced. 
Um, Chris Woods was on the bench. Teddy Sheringham came on as well. So yeah, I mean, it just didn't work out for Graham Taylor, did it? We, you know, we've discussed that before when we did our um, Euro '92 pod quite a while away. Actually, maybe we'll go back to talking about Graham Taylor's England at some point. Um, but yeah, memorable m- memories there from England, Holland. Obviously, Euro '96. Go back and listen to our Euro '96 pods that we did. We did two on them because there was so much to talk about. Um, switching to England, Italy, and then and again, um, four games, all pretty memorable from that era as well. Um, going back to Italia 90 it was the third place playoff um, and then there was two qualifiers um, in the road to World Cup 98 um, and then Le Tumwa as well which not quite as memorable for a friendly tournament but you know it's the only thing we've ever seen England win so Joe I mean what games to cap for you in those the famous one obviously the nil-nil oh. away in, in Rome That was, I watched the highlights of it today and I was like and obviously, there was so much on the line at the time mm. because it was we needed to get a point to go to the World Cup in France '98, and and I, I just didn't realise how much England were on top in that game. Um, you know, it was probably well. I mean, it absolutely was the height of Glenn Hoddle, I think. Um, but England were really, really, really outstanding. And uh, you know, it's the famous one inside the wallop of the shot. Beckham should have scored in the first half. Uh, I'd forgotten that. Um, the Italians had a man sent off and yeah, so Ian Wright hits yeah, the post and yeah. Del Piero goes up the other end and nearly scores with a header with like one of the last moves of the game but the thing I always remember about that as well is uh, Sky decided to show it as a double header with the Italy versus England and then straight after on Sky Movies they showed the Italian job oh, that's, that's proper TV scheduling that is I think, I think oh, they did better. that didn't they do that in the home game as well didn't, I'm trying to, trying to think didn't they this was obviously a group game, wasn't it? A World Cup qualifier. Yeah. So they yeah. must have played each other at Wembley. I'm trying to remember yeah. the result of that game. That was the one. That was the one nil. They got beaten one nil. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember them Sky doing. This was like when Sky sort of getting used to their sort of massive hype for games. I'm sure they started broadcasting about four or five in the afternoon, or probably early. And they, I'm sure they did that then. I'm sure they did a. Italian job or something. I remember coming back from somewhere and they, they, they're all in the studio about five hours before kickoff, thinking, "What the heck's going on now?" But you it's know, not as good as them showing Groundhog Day eighteen times in a row the other day on Groundhog Day. Did they do that? <laughs> yeah, they did that again this year. Yeah, they do it every year on Sky Comedy. They show Groundhog Day over and over and over again. Yeah. I, I like that. That's good. Um, but yeah, that obviously the one in Rome you mentioned is is remembered for Paul Ince, obviously as well, and the blood that he had uh, akin to Terry Butcher in Sweden um, years before. Obviously that wouldn't happen now because they don't do that. They change shirts and bandage up and blah blah blah. But that just it had it. And you mentioned Ian Wright's miss the, as well. The famous Gascoigne comment as well. To, to went straight up to Ince and when he had the white bandage on his head and said, "You look like a pint of Guinness," <laughs> which. Yeah. Uh, I imagine, I imagine Mr. Gascoigne might have had a couple yeah. later on. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned that Wright's miss as well, because then Italy went up the other end, and I think it's Vieri has a header that for everyone in the stadium thinks he's going in, apart from David Seaman, who just looks past it to say, yeah, nice try, mate. But it was one of those, you know, heart in hand one moment, just thinking, oh, no, we're going to lose it here. Um, but then the, the final whistle goes, I always like the celebrations, it's proper celebrations on the bench. I always remember Glenn Hoddle and the big hugs, because everyone was so down on that England after that performance earlier in that campaign where Gianfranco Zola scored at Wembley, past Ian Walker. Um, only Chelsea fans seem to, to smile at that point because obviously he was at his pomp at Chelsea. Um, outside of that, though, obviously Italian 90, we're going back there as well. That was the third place playoff, which, you know, as, as pointless as that game is, it was actually a decent game. Um, Italy won 2 1. David Platt scored for Shilton's, England. Shilton's last England game. Yeah, and an absolute 
proper clanger as well. I'd forgot about that Stinker. clanger. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought he was terrible in that whole tournament, to be honest, Shilton. Yeah, the Germany goal, think? I think, uh, is... Uh, Germany goal, the, penal- the penalties in the shootout, he was so slow. He tried to dive after that. T- he didn't anticipate it at all, did he? He sort of stayed, stood on his line and then went after they kicked the ball, which you kind of can't... You know, you need to at least anticipate it slightly. And He, he just seemed to be following, diving after the ball. It was already past him. Um, yeah, I thought he was... Uh, yeah, can't really sag him off too much because he was obviously looked upon as a great keeper, but I think he was well past his best. In that yeah, tournament. I think Chris Woods was should have been maybe promoted a little bit earlier. Or Dave Bassett was the other keeper in the Besson, yeah. Bassett was on the bench yeah. as the second keeper. And I think I remember a mate of mine at school going, "Why didn't they bring him on?" Like, the, like we spoke about the other week about bringing keepers on for yeah. shootouts. That um, I just think it would have it would have just psyched the Germany team out a bit more. And I can't see he would have done any worse than Shilton because just every penalty was was past Shilton before he even moved. So. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he's he, he had a twenty-year career for England, which out it's like blimey, crikey! Out, like but there was there was that kind of there was that sort of not arrogance, but it was almost like oh, you can't drop Peter Shield, yeah. oh, you can't drop Shield. Yeah, yeah. He was looked upon. He was just an establishment figure, wasn't he? He was looked upon as the best keeper in the world. And I mean, I, even then, I, I didn't really think he was in the sort of late eighties. You had Desaev in Russia and a few a few other good keepers. Where playing at that. And that that team obviously won the Fair Play Award and I always remember that vision of them at the end all together. They had that team shot, didn't they? The mixed two teams as they are uh, all happy ending to Italia 90. And then the other game was the Tournoi, which was also in 1997. Um, a great tournament for England, a sort of prelude to France 98 the, the season afterwards. Uh, Glenn Hoddle's experimental team. It was a first start for Paul Scholes and a first goal for Paul Scholes. And then Ian Wright got the first one. They both set each other up. Um, Paul Scholes, Matthew, obviously someone you love very much at Old Trafford. But this was the start of a, a, an England career that hit very big highs, but also mm, could have been better in terms of where he played. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't got the stats handy. You probably have. But he, he'd always looked upon as being a bit of a not quite fulfilling his potential for England, which I don't know. I suppose <laughs> you could say that about so many players, couldn't you? Barnes and, and and so many top players that have never quite done it for England. But um, I'd definitely put Skulls on that list. Although it might be harsh. I remember him cropping up. He seemed to crop up and score. Didn't he score in the first game of the 98 World Cup? Against, against Tunisia. Tunisia. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. He, did, he did sort of, he did chip in, but he just never seemed to I don't know. A lot of players never seem to have their heart in it when they're playing for England, do they? But um, fourteen goals in sixty-six games. Not, not. I mean, we talked about David Platt, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, and his excellent record. So it's not. Yeah. Well, it's a different kind of player. Well, mm. he's he different sort of player, wasn't he? But um, when you think what Skulls did for United, you, you just think what he could have been uh, at international level. But then, like I say, we could say that about so many players that have that have played for England but um, it was on this day yeah. in 99 actually I believe the, the day we were actually recording 27th of March 1999 he scored a goal against Poland Paul goals. I saw that earlier on Twitter yeah, That I think that was Kevin Keegan's first no, that was Keegan's been, first yeah. game as manager yeah, yeah. So there's another list week in the 90s for you. Um, so Joel, let's finish off on Le Tournoi. Um Did you think England were going to win the World Cup after that? We were so good in that tournament weren't we? I thought we looked, I thought we looked excellent in that game and you just like you said there you know Right, right gets on the end of a long ball from Scholes and easily dispatches it, and then right returns the favour for for Scholes later on. It just looked like it felt like we were kicking on, didn't it? I think as as the England team at that point, you know, 
Venables had came in and sort of rescued things, and Euro '96 had been such good fun. And then it just it just didn't happen, did it? It just as as always does with England, something happens to make it fall about. Whether it's the pressure of the job or uh, you know players not being available or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know we've never we've never fulfilled our potential really, have we? As an as an international side, apart from that once, which you know I'm loath to mention because I don't want to live in the 1960s. <laughs> no, this even is though we already mentioned. We already mentioned Yeah, keep it yeah. 60s. <laughs> We've had 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, what else we could talk We're having a bit of a, yeah, a, a curveball night. But um, I was just looking at the squad, actually. I've seen how different that was to the eventual France 98 squad. And this, I never knew this, never remember it at the time. Lee Clark was in that Latonia squad. Blimey. Okay. Was he at Newcastle then? Or Sunderland? Sunderland. I never yeah. Didn't ever win a cap. So, very Charlie Austin esque. He's been in the squad but never won a cap. But yeah, he was in that squad. They, they did tend to do that, didn't they, with these pre pre yeah. uh, World Cup, pre tournament tournaments. You'd get quite a few random players mm. getting, not even capped, but getting getting mentioned going in the squad. The ride, I it, do yeah. remember yeah. They, they used to do they used to do things as well. Like, I remember Rio Ferdinand going to Euro 96, yeah. even though he wasn't in the squad. I can't remember who else they took. But Venables took a few. Uh, a few like that just to say these are going to be England players we want them in and around the squad we want to see how we prepare for major tournaments and I don't know whether that happens now whether you know you will sort of take somebody from the 21s or whatever I, just so they can come and have a look at it I wouldn't have minded being taken along to that Euro 96 squad just to see how, <laughs> to see how they prepare for tournaments because I get the feeling yeah. it would have Probably resemble my weekend. Mm. Did he go to Hong Kong? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that, Joe, because I was watching the England-Holland game um, earlier for the Euro 96 and I saw Rio Ferdinand. He's, I think he's in the background as, as the manager celebrating. And it, I'd, I'd remember that they took them along at that point and Rio, you know, as a youngster, was still quite, you know, into the 90s and it made me think of that. So it's funny you should say that. Um, in that squad as well was Andy Cole, I don't, John Scales, he didn't go to... To the, the Tim uh, Lovejoy lookalike of professional yeah. football. Lovely man, John Scales. Done a lot of football tours with him. Very nice man. I never want to talk about his football career, but he's a very nice man. Um, <laughs> although the last time I saw him, he, he looked unrecognisable. So I don't know what's been happening lately. Um, but yeah, lovely bloke, lovely bloke. So yeah, no, that was Le Tournoi. We beat, obviously, France in that tournament as well. We didn't quite beat Brazil, the great Brazil side. Romario scored the goal. Um, but we won the tournament overall. So, yeah, that was a little look back at England, Holland and England, Italy in the 90s um, after the, this week's adventure. So um, and this is this week's adventure over and done with for another This Week in the 90s. Uh, thank you very much, gentlemen. Before we go, let them know where they can find you on Twitter. Firstly, Joel, where can people tweet you? They can tweet me at Joel Baby Herc. It's all very interesting at the minute. It's still very voice and top of the pops and <laughs> football. Middlesbrough playing um, Wolves at home on Friday afternoon. In fact, on Good Friday afternoon. So there might be a lot of shouting and screaming from me because it's on the telly. Oh, is it on the telly? Oh, they're, they're, mm. they're actually not showing Reading QPR for the first time in about 10 years. So well done, Sky. You've realised it's always a shitter of a game. Well done. Um, we have no <laughs> rivalry other than the fact they wear the same kit. That's it. So stop showing Reading QPR. It's just not worth it. Uh, Matthew, where can they find you on the social network? On Twitter, it's at Matthew J. Christ. Good stuff. Who have Man United got on the weekend? I can't even remember. Uh, isn't it? They've got Swansea at home. Oh, OK. Am I, am I skipping a week? Yeah. I think it's... Yeah. Like, you know, when an international break... Oh, and everyone, kind yeah, of, it, goes it completely... Break. Yeah. Bamboozles you as to what's. Uh, is there another? There isn't on. another one before the end of the season, is there? No, there's not. No, because no, no, there's only about. Straight in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Got, I think England, 
England have got two games, haven't they? Got in June, haven't they? Yeah, they Nigeria and Nigeria. somebody else. I can't. They play Nigeria, Ellen Road. But I can't remember the other game they're playing. Um, That's a surprise. I'm sure you won't remember it about two days after. It yeah, takes the World Cup is going to be an absolute shambles on every single level. We're going to get knocked out. I'm looking forward to. We're going to get knocked out by VAR, aren't we? That's clearly what's going to happen. VAR is mm-hmm. going to knock England out. I think yeah, everyone said that for the last. Russia, Five Sorry, go on. I was just say it's just every time the World Cup comes around, everyone just says it's going to be a nightmare. There's going to be loads of violence. The stadiums won't be ready, and there's going to be all this. And it never seems to be the case, though, does it? Not that I'm saying I wanted to, but you know, there's always a scare story, isn't there? There was always a scare story about a scare story before Brazil, scare story before Germany that England fans would go on the rampage and all this kind of stuff. It just just seems to go. It's a bit like our bingo card, isn't it? You've always got something where uh, which as didn't actually get any. Uh, Numbers up tonight, I don't think. Not too many. I think I mean no. Let's we'll, we'll leave them off for a week. Let them, I won't say Janino. Yeah. <laughs> although saying that, somebody did tweet me. I forgot whose name now. I'm really sorry, mate, because you tweeted me. Let me see if I can quickly find you. But he was out shopping um, on this week, and he tweeted me. He found a shirt. I think it was in H and M. I'm trying to find the tweet now. But the colour of the shirt was a crew. Oh, so, oh. So it proves it's not just an it's not maybe just, it's come back it's making it's, a, come it's back. making I'm really can't I'm going through my tweets and I can't find oh there we go if, ja- James Lee thank you James Lee yeah it was a what, was that is it it looks like an H&M I can't tell the store so I'm sorry it was a shirt for £80 though so it's not, what, if everyone's going around this summer wearing a crew we're going to take some credit for that yeah we've got to yeah. that yeah definitely I tell, I tell you what did happen in big Twitter news Robbie Mustor retweeted me a goal that he scored. Did you see this? This was a 90s thing. I did tag you in it, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, I retweeted it. The Janino goal that you forgot about. The Janine, well, Janino, yeah. I see. Now we have mentioned him probably. Yeah. But Janino, <laughs> some wonderful, gorgeous interaction with Phil Stamp. <laughs> so like, that, there's you know, a sentence that shouldn't be real. Yeah. And and Janino flicks it over. It's Wimbledon we're playing. I've forgotten all about this goal. And he flicks it over the heads of two different defenders and then sends it across goal. And just for Robbie Mustard to wallop it home from about two inches very reminiscent to David Nugent's England goal that time um, yeah and Robbie Musk 100 likes that on, yeah. on Twitter that's alright you're, yeah. you're up there with Sid Lambert and he's I was going to say you call him Sid sting, it Twitter yeah well you know I needed a tweet off uh, need a retweet off AK90's Ash and a, and a retweet off Robbie Musto and then we were alright yeah we're all good to go yeah well we're all good to go now so thank you guys um, this has been This Week in the 90s Follow us on Twitter at AK90s and rate and review the show on iTunes because that really does help us. We'll be back next week. And before we even do that, there'll be a new full-length show for you as well where we talk Corinthian figures and a whole lot more. Um, Yeah, it's a really fun show, so look out for that dropping over the weekend on your podcast weapon of choice. I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. And until next time, keep it 90s. 